My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Dr. Narina Ramlakan. Narina has worked for over 25 years as a physiologist and sleep and energy expert. And she's just put out this amazing book called Finding Inner Safety, which as she describes in our conversation today is a natural extension of and deepening of her expertise in human physiology, uh, the science of sleep, and the practices and behaviors that can help us sleep better. Because underneath and any of our ability to sleep is our need to feel safe. If you don't feel safe, you can't sleep. So Narina is embarking, and my experience of her is embarking after 25 years of developing this incredible body of work and impacting thousands and thousands of people to help them live healthier lives by sleeping better. She's she's stepping even more fully into this reality that that the deeper truth of our society is that many of us, even those of us who uh, seen from afar or measured by certain metrics of wealth and income and uh, and positionality, where we live, the communities we live, all of these things that we celebrate as privileges, nevertheless, we live in an epidemic of unsafety. In the midst of all the other pandemics and epidemics we're in, this real deeply felt sense that we are not safe. That, and as a result, we are chronically stressed, we are chronically on alert, um, and extending from that, we are unable to sleep, but, but sleep is a, this lack of sleep is a symptom of a deeper social cultural issue. And Narina is stepping beautifully into that space to make a case for the work that we need to do, the healing work we need to do, the collective and individual work we can do, the ancestral work we can do, understanding where we come from and how that got us here. It's really making a case for that becoming more and more central to our individual lives, our familial lives, our organizational lives. Um, and I was just really touched by the way she shows up uh, in her own life, embodying these practices and not preaching them, you know, not sort of finger wagging, but rather inviting, rather deeply listening, deeply caring and deeply hopeful that it is possible even for people who have for their whole life perhaps felt that it's impossible, that it is actually possible for, for every one of us to access healing and as a result access this inner safety, that we all have the nervous system functioning to allow for that, that we all have the 
cultural and ancestral inheritances to allow for that. If, if we're willing to go on the, the journey that Narina has been on and that she describes so beautifully in her book, Finding Inner Safety, The Key to Healing, Thriving, and Overcoming Burnout. So this is a really, a really fun one for me, a really joyful one, playful one, and a deep one, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Narina has for us. Hi, Narina. Welcome. Hi, Andy. Lovely to be here today. It's really lovely to be here with you. I'm grateful that Aiden connected us, and I'm full right now with the conversation we had a couple weeks ago where we were walking and talking, and, and I've been reading your book, Finding Inner Safety, and we've also just had a lovely 30 minutes or so here together already. And uh, I feel like my first person primary experiences, I just feel really at ease with you. And so thanks for bringing that energy into the space. Thank you, Andy. I feel at ease as well. And that meditation that we did was so lovely that um, not only do I feel deeply at peace and ease, but my dog started snoring as well. <laughs> <laughs> Because when the dog does that, it's not because they're bored, it's because their nervous system is so relaxed uh, and they yeah. feel totally safe. So mm, mm, <laughs> mm. well as 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 uh between the two of us, I would I would I would place you as our resident expert on nervous system functioning. So I'm gonna take that as a good sign that that your dog is has is ready to chill with us. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Mm. We're ready. Mm. All right. Gosh, you know, um, I thought I knew where I wanted to start, but then you just read me this beautiful vision. And uh, I wonder, would, would that feel meaningful for you to, to like read out loud and, and have it recorded in our shared space for anyone listening to hear? Or does that, is that something that maybe you want to kind of let be more implicit? I'd love to share this. I'd mm. love to. Mm. Um, I let me just check that. I'm going to close this door because somebody is drilling. I just want to ah, make yes, sure of course. that's not going to intrude because we don't I've want had... intruding on my vision, do we? No. <laughs> Stop drilling into my vision. Stop drilling. And so I think our vision changes as we go through stages of life and yeah. our, our purpose and we deepen into the lived experience and we get older. And so recently, I, I, it was just a, actually a couple of weeks ago, I found myself sitting down thinking, what is it that I really do? I'm called all sorts of things. <laughs> you know, I'm called a nervous system expert. That, that was nice. I don't think I've had that one before and I like that one. But I'm called a sleep expert. I'm called a sleep and energy expert. I'm called a physiologist. But what is it that I really do? Because I think that what I do is incredibly simple. And so my vision based on what I think I do, is to help as many people as I can as I can, to reach their natural state of balance and energy so that they can live more joyful, loving, and fulfilling lives. Mm, 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 mm. What kind of world would we live in if, if as many people as possible were in that? What was the phrase, the natural balance? Can the you say natural that? state of balance and energy because I think it's innate within all of us. We have a natural state of balance and energy. But life sends us this way and that way. 
And I've watched this happening even more so in the last two and a half decades mm. as everything has just gone faster and faster. Mm. And we're all speeding up to try and keep up. And we lose touch with our natural state of balance and energy, myself included. And so I think that what I'm doing a lot of the time is just helping people to clean up mm. while cleaning up myself. Mm. Mm. And constantly becoming more who we are. And I'm constantly becoming more who I am. Uh. Mm. You know, there's um, in your book, your most recent book, Finding Inner Safety, I, the place I thought I was going to start that now I feel really called towards that now that you've shared your vision and made it present, it's actually close to the end of the book, which is in your exploration of the power of going back to our roots. Yes. And um, at some point, I my hope and aspiration is that we'll, we'll help flesh out this picture you have of the tree of safety. But, mm-hmm. um, but there's this kind of uh, root seeking or root finding or rooting down that seems to be a foundational part of whatever it is you just described of this kind of natural state of energy and balance, this capacity to be fully who we are and also move towards who we're becoming that, that something about rootedness feels really fundamental or foundational to that. And uh, I wonder if you could speak to that a bit more, this, uh, this insight that it's, that, that's our life being rooted in our lives, but also in the lives of our ancestors who came before us and, in, and of the planet that we're a part of. Yeah. Could you speak to that more? Yes. I think, well, given that the book is about finding inner safety. And when I embarked on writing this book, I, I almost didn't know where it was going to take me. I just knew that I needed to write it. And mm. I had wanted to, to write it over 20 years ago. The world wasn't ready for it, and publishers wanted books on sleep, you know. But I knew that sleep is inextricably linked to feeling safe. We sleep when mm. we feel safe. So I always knew that there needed to be a book about feeling feeling safe. And then I started ask this, asking this question, but what does it mean to feel safe? What does it mean to feel safe? How do we learn to feel safe? And then I started discovering work of uh, other neuro, you know, nervous system experts, Stephen Porges and the work of Peter Levine, people who've done amazing work on trauma, um, Bessel van der Kirk's work, you know, The Body Keeps the Score, um, Bruce Lipton's work, Epigenetics. Mm, mm. And then it all started to solidify in my mind that actually we, we can't just start with our nervous system because where does that come from? Well, it, you know, it comes from our parents and it comes from our external influences. But actually, what comes before that? Well, it's where we've come from, our ancestors, Mm. where Mm. they've come from, and the soil they've come from. And then what is the soil from which we come? And I thought about my ancestors and their uprootings, which I I mentioned in the book, and and then started to wonder whether um, my own uh, challenges with feeling safe were related to all of the uprootings, related in part to all of the uprootings that mm. my ancestors and my family and I had been through. And if I could somehow find ways of rerouting myself um, 
and connecting with those ancestral roots, would that have some impact on me being able to feel more safe? Yeah, and what did you find? Like I found that the answer was yes. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and then the middle section of the book where I talk about um, trees, this was an unexpected sandwich filler, if you like. <laughs> this is the juiciest part of the book because I didn't realize I was going to be writing about trees, but I just knew that when I was writing the book, I was, I've always been drawn to trees. I've um, always climbed trees. In fact, as I sit here speaking to you, I have to be very honest in that I'm holding myself carefully because I jumped out of a tree on Saturday um, into the river where I live, but I, my landing wasn't great. Ah. I must have bent my legs. So I've got some whiplash at the moment, ah. but I'm a little bit of a crazy tree climber, tree <laughs> hugger, whatever, but I am um, drawn. I'm fascinated to fascinated um, by the principles of nature and what we can learn from nature mm. and trees in particular and how they communicate with each other and their rootedness. And I speak in particular of a story of a tree that was uprooted in Kew Gardens um, in, in London. It was uprooted and, and then set back up again. And the, the woodsmen were going to chop it down, the arborists, and they realized it had rerouted itself. And now it's growing far more strongly and it's more safe than it's ever been. Wow. Um, and this, this tree, the Turner Oak has, um, has has changed the way trees are looked after now and the way the soil around the tree roots are cared for as a result of what happened but it's it, trees have been made safer as a result of what happened to the turner oak but anyway i think i digressed a bit but um when we go back to our roots and we we discover where we came from and what are our we start to learn about our strengths and we start to learn about our weaknesses, if you can call, if you want to call them weaknesses. But we we learn where we need more aeration of the soil. Mm. Where, where mm. does where do we need some more work? Where do we need more support? Mm. Where do we need more nourishment? Mm. Mm. Could you, in whatever way you're comfortable sharing, could you um, talk a bit about how to in the book you share a sort of version of your your ancestral story starting in the late 18th century and and kind of moving all the way you know up into like the early aughts and um how did how did how did it kind of unearthing that ancestral story help you get in touch with the, the gifts you've inherited and also the places where your soil needs more aeration what did that do for you um it helped me to and, and I draw this in the, you know, I, I did a, di a diagram has been included in the book as well, the tree of safety. Yeah. Um, I felt that diagram should have occupied a whole page. Um, it's slightly squashed in there, but I started to identify, became a lot clearer on where my strengths lie. What, what is it that I'm really good at? Where do I get this tenacity from? Hmm. You know, where do I get this? Even some of my physical attributes, this ability to sort of squat in the soil, my flexibility, you know, because hmm. my ancestors uh, worked in the sugarcane plantations and the rice fields. Um, and actually, as I sit here right now to my left, I have a photo of my great grandmother who lived until the, uh, 103. <laughs> and uh, she was a sugarcane worker, plantation. She was an indentured slave. 
Uh, she doesn't look very happy. I don't. I, it's kind of taped up. There's. So I can't rip it off the wall to show you, but she doesn't look particularly happy. There's this look of. Uh, she looks lost. She looks mm-hmm. sad. She looks in grief mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. You know. So she would have travelled from from India on a boat, and on that boat, many of them didn't survive the journey, um, but they made their way to Guyana and uh, in South America, and they entered a life of indentured indentured, indentured labour you know, working the sugar plantations, rice plantations. And it was my father's father, my grandfather, who was one of the first to buy his way out of indentured labor or indentured slavery. And he was tenacious. And my father had that tenacity. My late father did. And I think I do too. Mm. Um, Mm. And I hadn't always known where to put that tenacity. You know, at one point I found myself doing marathons and an Ironman and, stuff like that you know and then as I've got older I've I don't regret that necessarily but I've you know I've thought no no, no, actually where do I where do I want this energy to go Hmm. so I've just I've learned about my tenacity I've learned um I've learned about grief you know these roots that are weakened because of grief and so I've done a lot of work on grief and the work is the journey is ongoing and I in my life have experienced a lot of loss so the work on grief, I'm, I'm continually strengthening those roots of belonging mm. and uh, so that I don't drown in loneliness, aloneness. It- wow. So I'm in touch. I just, right before this, I had another conversation and we were exploring uh, for another interview and we were exploring this this kind of um, loneliness, this disappearance that happens in modern society because our our kind of economic socioeconomic structure doesn't really seem to care too much where we come from or who we are, so long as we keep consuming and contributing to the engine. Uh, and and I'm just really in touch with like the the beauty that that you're presencing to say like no like I'm not this lonely sort of uh, adrift individual in this isolating moment in history that has no connection to the past. You know, I'm not just a consumer. Like I am a tenacious human being who was born from other tenacious human beings who have literally traversed the planet, uh, maybe in ways that they necessarily didn't even choose to. And yet, despite that, despite enslavement, despite uh, uh, being uprooted from their home, they found a way to to reroute, and so you're sort of you're carrying some kind of lineage that, in a way, all of us are carrying, but most of us are are ignorant to or or absent from. And what I loved about your book, it is a surprising like, okay, finding inner safety. Where is this book going to take me? And it and it takes you into nature, but it also takes you into into history and the past. And I just was so touched by that. Um, so I just wanted to share that mirror that. Back. Thank you. I didn't know it was going to take me there as well. So I wrote this book during the, the pandemic. Um, just unexpectedly, the book, you know, I had a publisher, um, Cap, Capstone, approached me and said, what are you writing? And the thing they said that was uh, was music to my ears is we don't want another book on sleep. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Yay. Okay, because I love my books on sleep and they are well read and they help lots of people. And it's really important that we can sleep. And with my battles with insomnia, 
almost three over three decades, I know what it feels like to not sleep well. Um, but I was ready to write to write this book, and so I kind of battened down the hatches because we were in this pandemic. And while I was going through my own challenges and my own loss losses dealing with loss, um, I just hunkered down and, and wrote and let it take me where it needed to take me, and that's that's where it took me. It took me into my my ancestors. It, it took me to the trees. In fact, mom, it was it was my rescue dog who took me to the trees. Mm. So I I got a dog. Like everyone else, I got a dog. Everyone else <laughs> <laughs> in the UK got dogs. We got paddle boards, so I got a paddle board as well. <laughs> a lot of time in the river near my house. Um, but the dog would just we would go out on these walks, and she arrived in a state of trauma. So I'm writing this book on trauma, and uh, I end up rescuing this highly traumatized street dog from Cyprus. And they said, don't let her off the lead for at least a month. She'll, she'll run away. And I looked at her and I thought, you're not going to run away. You, you, you know, you know where your next bone is coming from. So I just let her off the lead because I felt she needed to run off the trauma and she would run and I would follow her and she would come back and we would play and she would lead me to all these trees. And even though I've lived in this neighborhood for, um, a decade and a half, I found trees I hadn't found before. She would just come take me to these these trees. So, you know, that's the beautiful thing about writing a book sometimes is just showing up and um, after you've kind of, I give myself permission to write badly for a while, 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes to overcome that inner perfectionist and just let, let's just see where we go with this. Mm. And mm. that's where it took me. Mm. I'm so appreciative. Um, I'm starting to get this image of, of you and your life. Uh, you know, you're climbing trees and jumping into rivers and letting mm-hmm. your dog off the line and following her where she leads you. There's a real, um, there's a kind of a quality of presence. Like I'm just going to be in the moment and I'm going to be in life. So there's, and as I say that a lot, it's like I'm both present to the moment and also present to this past and to this possible future. Like you have vision. So we started with a vision, then we went to history and now we're just in the moment of running through the trees. And, and so I just like really want to uh, appreciate the kind of uh, way in which you're, you seem to inhabit this yeah. full spectrum of life as much as you're able. Thank you. Uh, that I yeah, that means a lot to me to hear that, Andy. I really appreciate you saying that because it hasn't always been this way for me. Mm. And, you know, I've, uh, with my own struggles with mental health, um, you know, because a lot of it was just living in a constant state of fear. Mm. And the more I worked on feeling safe, the more I was able to be in the present mm. and to be with mm. what is here mm. and then to go back and look at what has gone and then to be whimsical about what might lie ahead of me in the future and I and not know and be okay with that mm. and constantly dance between these three time zones, mm. past, present and future. And, um, and it's not always like that. And I shared with you my, my morning routine of, of, you know, what I call Wugu Glow. Wugu Go, Wugu Go. Um, it comes from an amazing movement coach who I, I work with um, called Julie Angel. And she just said, you know, just <clears throat> wake up, get up, get out. You know, wake up, get up, get out. And so I started calling it Wugu Go. And then my friends say to me, you know, I, we can tell you've done the Wugu Go because you've got the Wugu Glow, you know. Um, nice, <laughs> nice. I do that because I wake up in the mornings and I before I open my eyes, I, I, 
I listen to my thoughts and I listen to the quality of the thoughts. And it might only take seconds. This is not a, you know, a one hour meditation practice. It could take five to 10 seconds. I know immediately, ah, that's what's going on in my head. Hmm. The speed of my thoughts, the quality of my thoughts, the fear in my thoughts. And so wake up, get up, just get up and walk. And I get out and I get out into nature and suddenly I'm, I'm here. And I found safety and, you know, often even in winter, I'll take my shoes off. And so there I am with bare feet on cold ground, <laughs> cold grass. Um, and it brings me back in, brings me into my body, out of my head, into my body. And that, yeah. is, that for me is a huge part of feeling safe. Yeah. Mm. I wish I could put my finger on it. Um, but there's a, I believe there's a place in the book where you speak to this idea that that maybe maybe we are given the gift of our history so that we can heal oh here it is on page 100 let's see if i can see if i can capture this so it says like on starts on page 99 by this i mean i wonder whether there comes a point in our family history where when there is someone who has the resources to heal weakened roots so in their lives, they have to face a topple, you know, something falls over, which provides the opportunity for healing, not only for them, but the whole family line. And in particular, those who are yet to come. Oh, that really touched me. And it's, it's touching me again, as I imagine, you know, you're a mother mm-hmm. and a daughter at your upbringing. You share a little bit of in this book was quite intense and scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, and here you are, like I'm gonna wake up, get up, get out. I'm gonna, I'll stand in the snow if I need to. Mm-hmm. I'll will I'll stand in the heat if I need to. I'm gonna be as present as I, and safe in my own body because, in a way, I'm hearing that there's like an act of service to, at the very least, if you know we want to kind of quote unquote keep it sort of in the realm of reality, although most people don't know what the heck reality is. So, but at the very least for yourself and for, let's say, your daughter and for your adopted dog, you're like, I'm here for them. But there's also this like much wider possibility that you're doing something for your whole family line that no one else was just based on their their moment and their journey had the resources to do for yeah. the family line. Uh, well, yeah, I don't even know where to start with that because I love that you've honed in on that, Andy. And I, I do feel a sense of responsibility as a mother. And I was, my daughter phoned me earlier today and we just had, for the second time, she says, I'm, you're the person I phone when I'm en route to somewhere <laughs> or I'm waiting for a bus. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'll be that person. That feels like a privilege. I'll take that. Oh, yeah. 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 So when you're 18 year old, who was born in the day before your son, by the way, this is the 19th of July. So no kidding. Yeah, she turned 19 on Tuesday. When your 18 year old wants to speak to you, you know, and that that feels good. And I said, you know, I'm I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to give you wings and roots. Mm. Mm. That's what I said to her this morning. I'm trying to give you wings and roots. And what I noticed that, I mean, I was doing a lot of inner work before she came along and I was working with a lot of people. But when when I, when I my daughter arrived in my life, it, um, especially when she hit the turbulent teenage years, I realized how much more 
safety I needed to embody in myself. Mm. Mm. So that she was more resourced so that she had the resource to do what she's here to do. Be who, and she may take up the mantle in her way as well. But it became very clear to me, especially during the pandemic, that I needed to work even more on, root, on my rooting, on my groundedness, on my safety. And I do believe that each generation comes along. And even if I think about my great grand, my, my grandfather, who worked his way out of indentured labor and bought the village bus, it was called Sushila. And in fact, I've named my paddleboard Sushila. Oh, gorgeous. So, so he has this village bus and he started making money from the village bus after his day of working in the plantation and slowly managed to get enough money to, to buy his way out of um, indentured labor. So, oh. so, so he created a surplus of resources there. And then along comes my father, Ajoal, with his tenacity and did extremely well, had an engineering company, you know, employing 50 people in its heyday, build the first uh, athletics you know, uh, athletic stadium in Guyana, um, world-class cricket stadium, the West Indies played there, um, a, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. So, you know, floating bridges in Guyana so people could cross the bridges and the, the rivers and, you know, in their cars. And so my father comes along and he makes his contribution. And it feels like my role has been to go in and do some of the psycho-spiritual work mm. Mm. of healing, which is messy. It's been messy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so in touch. You know, I'm the, my daughter is four and a half and, and I, I often realize much to my humility, you know, I asked one of my mentors, like, how should I show up for my, for my kids in this time? What am I, how do I help them be themselves, but also be, be strong enough or resourced enough to, to live in a world that I can't predict, but that seems likely to be a different and more disrupted and more unstable world than the one I grew up in. How do I show up for them? And, and you know, his, his insight was to, he said specifically, apprentice yourself to your daughter. Apprentice yourself to your daughter. I love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm still trying to figure out what that means. <laughs> but I, but there's this this moment. There is a moment that's that came to mind as you were sharing your insight. That oh, my realization is that for my daughter, she's teaching me that what I need to do is be more resourced, mm. not to like get in there and you know yeah. try and trim or prune or or fix or save, but actually know like. By seeing who she is, I see who I need to be. And and so doing, by becoming more resource, like I, she has access to that. Just by virtue of how I am in my body, mm. she'll have access to more in her body. Like that, like that's the move as opposed to like, don't do that. Be careful about this. You know, yeah. and of course there's yeah. times where you have to do that. Like don't, don't walk in the road. You're going to get hit by a car. Like, okay, so don't do that. But like, but to sort of just recognize that it's less, uh, it's less up here, it's less heady, it's less kind of like interventionist, and it's mm -hmm. a bit more, it's more, okay, I'm going to be in here and with you so that you can be with me and also be with yourself more. That's what I'm getting from your story. 
and and that then and then I'm glad because that's what it is. That is what it is. And you know the the Gandhian principle of you know we must become the change that we mm. want to see in the world. Mm. And this is an important value for me to, to be the change. And it is in my work. This you know I, I spend a lot of time working with people, whether it's through media stuff or through my books or through corporate presentations, keynotes. And that I, I don't want to sound horribly smug, but it's important to me that anything I say to people is something I'm doing myself. I'm not going to say anything I'm not prepared to do myself. Mm. I'm not going to say anything that I don't believe in personally. So that's really important to me. But then becoming a parent, there were some blind spots. <laughs> You know, it's been a really humbling experience. It's been a really humbling. And the idea of a, an apprenticeship, become the apprentice to my daughter is, is um, I can see how that is very much the case. And I'm, I'm continually, you know, in a state of wonder and awe, you know, um, even when she's in her reptilian brain and being horrible, I'm, I'm having to learn something. There's something for me to learn here, which, you know, and of course it's about her as well. You know, she's, she's, she's no, um, she's no angel, but it, it's, uh, none of us this are is the spiritual journey of life, yeah. all of this in its messiness. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And so maybe I'm at that life stage now where, you know, the get up and get out, which has created so much more time in my day. It's created an ease and a gentleness in my day because I start my day slower and you know it's six in the morning and I've been up I've just been I've had all this contemplation time 7 a.m and I've just been sitting and just contemplating and reflecting not even necessarily formally meditating but just contemplating in fact recently I've stopped using the word contemplation um, meditation rather and I've been using the word contemplation more mm. Mm. because my eyes are open and I'm taking in everything and I can hear the birds singing and the planes going overhead and it's all happening and it's all in my world. Hmm. <sighs> I, I, as a parent of young kids, I'm going like, boy, I can't wait for that time in my life to reemerge at some point. <laughs> you know, well, I'm I think the, I'm, I'm considerably in, older than you, Andy. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, you're in the like, you know, wake up, get up, go out. I'm in the like, wake up, get up, hang out and make smoothies for the kids yeah. phase yeah. of the morning. So, so I'm appreciating just the, the insight that there's nothing to, there's, there are moments in our life, perhaps many moments, and these moments might come and go as we're in different chapters of our life, but there's moments mm -hmm. in there's life where there's nothing to be done. Yeah, you know, that other than to be, to contemplate, to have your eyes open and look out the window and drink a tea and mm -hmm. hear the birds sing. And that... Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong, there's stuff to be done, but, you know, it has its time and its place. Yeah. And, yeah, you'll do it uh, at 9 a.m. It's but it's you know it's 6 a.m. right now. So let's let's like 6 a.m. Yeah. And it I am allowed, and I have to actually write that on a post-it note. I have probably four or five post-it notes stuck in various places around the house that say, I am allowed, dot, dot, dot. Because I suddenly kind of woken up to this idea that actually I'm allowed to do this. Because <laughs> I've got up at five doesn't mean I need to start work at six. 
Mm. You know, it doesn't need to be. I need mm. doesn't mean I need to be in my inbox, and, and and that's where feeling safe comes into it as well, because it takes it takes the ability to sit with with it, to sit just to sit and be with it. Could it could turn into boredom? It could turn into anxiety. It could turn into I should, I have to, I must do, and actually just sit and just just notice that. And then ride through it. And then and if it turns into loneliness, then meet that loneliness. And if that turns turns into heart opening and tears, as it did for me this morning, then meet that. You know, then meet that, then be with that. And then be camera ready at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So you're you are implicitly, we've already touched on one part of the tree, but but all of the ways of being that you're describing, which of course are uniquely yours and yet are inspiring, at least to me and hopefully to others listening, are pointing towards a way of being in your life that uh, is, is perhaps represented by this metaphor you bring in the book of the tree of safety. Hmm. And I wonder, my sense is that this might be a good moment to say, what does it take to um, cultivate a life in which someone can show up in, in their version of what you're describing for your life, which is this like this beautiful combination of patience and presence and play and curiosity and energy and tenacity. Like there's, there's no either or here. You're really, you're showing up in this beautiful both end place. I can both be deeply tenacious and deeply spacious. And there's something about like to do that, you've got to be, feel really safe in yourself. You have this model of the, of safety, so maybe you could take us into that a bit more. Yeah. So, in how do I work? I, I feel like I want to share from a really practical point of view. Yeah. How I encourage my my clients um, to to find that level of safety within themselves, and um, and it comes from my work in, on sleep, where I notice that. Um, in fact, it came from before that when I was working in health screening and I was seeing in the city so over 20 years ago, seeing lawyers and investment bankers coming through to my health screening laboratory, um, measuring various aspects of their health physiologically, blood pressure, breathing, this kind of stuff. And then I was giving them advice. And I noticed that people who are out of balance, because don't forget, that's what my life's work is about, is helping to return people to their state of balance and, and energy. I was having to I was recommending a certain set of things over and over again and so when I started writing this book finding inner safety I realized the same things were relevant um, and, and that if I could help people to clean up their nervous system help them to reset their nervous system then they have more access to that part of the nervous system that will enable them to feel safe mm. so to, to go into this conversation would probably require me to tell you a little bit about the nervous system and many of your listeners may know about this already but the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, crudely is divided into two branches. You have the sympathetic nervous system, which is where we feel unsafe. We're in fight or flight, we're in threat. We're running on adrenaline and cortisol. We're trying to get stuff done. We're trying to flee from threat, fight or flight or freeze. So that's the sympathetic nervous system. And then you have the parasympathetic, which is rest, repair, recovery. This is part of your nervous system that you live in when you're feeling safe and when you're thriving the parasympathetic rest and digest as well and 
in order to feel safe, we need to have access to that parasympathetic nervous system. And it might sound, I don't know if that sounds simplistic, but we're living in a world that is constantly in a state of sympathetic over-excitation. The whole world is living in the sympathetic nervous system. You know, you, you wake up, if you go on the news, you know, there's all sorts, there'll be travel disasters, there's temperatures rising, there's extreme cold temperatures in other places, there's, you know, global recession, there's all sorts of stuff going on. And of this can create a sense of urgency and anxiety and fear, which immediately puts us into the sympathetic nervous system. And a lot of my clients, the first thing they do is reach for their phones in the morning, they wake up, and they almost that's almost their caffeine shot. You know, let me just look at my phone. Let's just see what's happened. It might be that they're looking at social media, but that will wake them up, the dopamine effect, that will wake them up. Mm. And so I think for many people, the, the habit of reaching out of themselves to find something to get them going or to, to find a false sense of security and safety, reaching out of themselves, perpetuates this living in the wrong part of the nervous system. So what I do is I try to help people to steer them back into the parasympathetic, um, help them to make different choices. And there's really practical stuff from waking up, moving, eating, hydrating the body, getting off your phone, not having your phone in the bedroom, you know, going to bed a bit earlier. And, you know, I spent 10 years working in psychiatry as well. And these were things I was telling the patients that this was making a difference for them. Mm. Yeah, extreme psychiatric cases. Mm. Um, and so the first stage of learning how to feel safe is making some different choices, lifestyle choices. I hope I'm answering your question here because I can't help but get practical about this. I, I'm totally, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, to the extent that it feels useful and meaningful to kind of um, paint the picture of the whole tree of safety, we can do that or, or folks can find it in the book, but it certainly feels helpful to like, where does it start? What does it look like for someone right now in their, in their life, in this moment in our society, which as you have alluded to in, in a number of different ways is a, as, is a highly stressful uh, sympathetic nervous system activating society. How do we reclaim some sense of selfhood, of agency, of ownership over our own well, our own body, right? Like, because the the sympathetic, my understanding of the sympathetic is it is it is a beautifully attuned system that is designed to react when there is threat. Mm. And uh, what a beautiful thing to have something that can move faster than the speed of conscious thought to keep us safe. And what a what a, a tragic thing that 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 evolutionary system is has been either consciously or not probably some combination of both co opted uh, and is always like react 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 go out yeah. do yeah. grab get run yeah. yeah and so what I'm hearing you speak to is a sort of sense of like okay it really starts simple You've yeah gotta, really starts simple so if we come to the tree of safety. And uh, yeah, maybe people would want to look at it in the book, but you know, if you imagine yourself as a tree and your roots are where you've come from, mm. your ancestors, as we've talked about, it's what you've inherited, Bruce Lipton's epigenetics. Mm -hmm. And then you have your, um, your, your moment of birth. What happened at the moment of your birth? Did you ever talk to your parents about your birth experience? 
And uh, yeah, I know quite a lot about a mine. Mine was pretty intense, but I've, I've, I'll let you keep keep going because yeah, it's... Well, that's a lot. That's a conversation. I'd be fascinated. I'd be fascinated to know. And I mean, and in terms of my my mother, um, I was my mother conceived me when she was recovering from having miscarried um, twins. And oh. when she went to her postnatal check at seven months, they said, "Do you know you're pregnant?" And <laughs> wow. there, there I was swimming around, and I sometimes feel like maybe I was swimming in a sea of grief, you know. Mm. So mm. Um, all mm. of those birth experiences, all of that, uh, the, the pregnancy experience, that could inform your nervous system, the degree of myelination of your nervous system how strong your nervous system is, how strong that uh, central trunk mm. is. So you have the naught to seven years. So you've got the, the transit in, in, in throughout the pregnancy. You've got the birth experience. You've got your naught to seven years old. What were the experiences in that during that time? So when I'm working with people with sleep problems, I say, well, just tell me about naught to seven years old. And often I'll say safe or unsafe. I don't even tell them what I mean by safe or unsafe, but intuitively, instinctively, they'll go, ah, unsafe. This is what happened, you know. So I'm not there as a therapist to go back and do work on trauma. And sometimes I then refer them to a trauma therapist. But what I want to know is, okay, why have you developed hypervigilance in your nervous system? such that you can't let go so that you can sleep at night because sleep is an act of letting go. So I want to know if they're not able to sleep, where did the inability to let go, where did that start? Did it happen in the lot to seven years? Did it happen in eight to 14 years, the second life stage? Did it happen in 15 to 21? And so if you imagine the trunk, the tree trunk is the life passages. And, and then the tree itself is what you then give forth into the mm. world. What do you bring forth into the world? And I see many people who are, particularly when I was working in the square mile, and I still get a lot of people referred to me who are, what they're bringing forth into the world, they're incredibly successful. And they're making a lot of money for themselves and their organizations, but they topple. Something happens and they topple. And then when we go back in and they come to see me, they're referred to me, we might end up looking at those roots, you know, where did that drive come from that you felt you couldn't say no, hmm. that you had to work three days in a row without sleeping and you couldn't say no? Where did that come from? And you track back and you may find some kind of skewed tenacity, skewed, which comes from that place of lack somewhere back, way back. You know, they grew up with parents who themselves grew up in poverty or ancestors you grow you know there's something in there and while I'm not there to necessarily uh do the healing work on that and as I said sometimes I, I refer them just giving them a sense of why they toppled before I then go look let's put some supports in place mm -hmm. and the thoughts might be how you nourish yourself how you move how you drink how you eat you know how you use your phone those are like the supports just propping this tree up and then I then explain that, you know, what's happening in our world as well is chaotic, it's volatile. And so that this tree is being buffeted this way and that way. So more than ever, we need to strengthen our roots. Mm. And I mm. show them ways of doing this. And, you know, I've described this kind of luxurious start to my day 
I mean, come on, it starts at five in the morning. So that, that's pretty hard <laughs> to right? You know, every, but most mornings I lie there and I think, nah, not doing it today. I'm going to lie here. And I don't. <laughs> I get up and I get out, you know, and that's what's, what I'm doing at the moment. I'm not saying it's always going to be like that. But for now, that's what I'm doing. But, um, you know, for people who might be listening, who are thinking, well, you know, like you, you know, you've got a young family, you're, you're hanging out, you're making smoothies, and then they'll get to teenage years and you'll be trying to convince them to drink the smoothie. <laughs> um, you know, and not buy an energy drink on the way to school. Um, but for people whose lives are a bit different, as mine was, what you might do is just take little moments of pause during your day. And I love recommending to people, I've just written a blog about this, just follow three exhalations in the morning when you wake up. Not three breaths, three exhalations. You know, just follow three. Keep your eyes closed. Follow three exhalations. Notice the speed of your thoughts before you reach for your phone, before you jump out of the bed, before you reach for the coffee, whatever. And then maybe follow three exhalations five times in the day. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, three other times. And given that we breathe 20 odd thousand times a day, can you find 25 exhalations in a day? Do it when you check your email. Do it when you see that person who winds you up. Do it at the traffic lights. Do it at the supermarket. Now, what starts to happen when people do this, Andy, is magical because it's the equivalent of aerating the soil. Mm. Mm. You start getting oxygen to those roots. We haven't even looked at why the roots were diseased. We haven't even gone into the whole drama and the story. But we're strengthening those roots. And they come back to see me the next time. And because they're pausing and they're aerating, they suddenly are feeling more safety in their body. And they're ready then to talk about the thing that they really wanted to talk about in the first place. But they didn't have the safety to go there, which is, I want to leave my job or my marriage is crumbling and I don't know how to make this right. Or, you know, that abuse that I suffered when I was six years old. I think I need to deal with it now. Now they have the resource to start the healing. Mm. 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 You described people who topple. And I thought again of your, your, at the top you talked about, was it the Turner Oak? Is that what it's called? Yes. The Turner Oak, the Turner yeah. Oak. And so if people, if your listeners Google the Turner Oak, Q Gardens, K-E-W mm. Gardens, which is a beautiful uh, park a few miles away from where I live in Surrey in England they'll find the beautiful story of the Turner Oak, which changed the way arborists look after trees. Yeah. Well, I hear you kind of describing an, an, an analogous way of looking after ourselves, which is to say, you know, mm. ideally it'd be great if you didn't have to topple. And there are some things you can do to aerate the soil and bring oxygen to your roots. And I mean, in this case, to your nervous system, to your, to your organs, to your body, even without going into the story. But if you topple, well, we're going to, there's good news. We can, we can put yeah. you back in the soil and, and you can reroute and maybe do that from a place where you are really in touch with what's actually true for you. Like, and, and my, and now this is my story. I'm layering in some words, but like, I imagine someone who's driving, 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 so successful, making all this money. And they're living inside a belief or a story or uh, a fear or a sense of shame that if they were to stop or not do that, that, uh, that something bad would happen, that they would lose, lose something. They would be exiled, rejected, maybe even killed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then they topple and they discover that they're still alive, hopefully. Yeah. 
And you put them back in the swimming and, and they go, that's this beautiful moment to go, wait a minute, that the way that I was living was not was something I inherited that wasn't me. Doesn't mean I don't have to be driven. I can still have energy and tenacity, but yeah, I'm, no thanks. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna keep performing that that dance or that race without being more conscious about how I want to stand in the world. And so there's sort of a a gift in the topple if uh, if then there's someone like you to help meet them in that moment and help them see that they can plant their roots again and grow even stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know during the pandemic many people kind of did topple. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Some part of me is like, I feel like I'm still slowly topping. Yeah, same, same here. And that's why the morning routine is is different. I'm still kind of in my uh, coming back from it, you know. But, and I think many people did, and then they've gone back to work, some, you know, varying degrees back in the physical work environment. But, are going, oh, I can't do it like this anymore. Just, you know, so we've got this great resignation. You know, a lot of people are, I'm just not doing it like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to aerate my soil. And that was the interesting thing with the Turner Oak. What they discovered is that this beautiful tree, the oldest and biggest tree in Kew Gardens, what had caused the topple was the footfall. It was all the people trampling uh, on the surface of the soil uh, around the roots of the tree, which uh, is very analogous to what, what happens to us sometimes in life that we just get so downtrodden, mm. so trampled on by life. And a lot of the people I work with, so caught up in it has to, you know, they, they don't feel they have a choice or, you know, they, they're voiceless and they're downtrodden by everything happening to them. And then they topple. So the, the Turner wrote, because of the, the footfall, the roots became weakened. Mm. The soil became compacted. It became stuck. Uh, and this is what happens to a lot of people I work with. They feel they're stuck and they can't change. And they, so some people need to topple. And some people I get to before they topple, you know. But, I mean, I have one client who two weeks ago we agreed kindly. We, were, we couldn't work together. He just he couldn't aerate the soil. He couldn't do the stuff. There's a few things that he needed to do to, to help bring that support in. Just not ready to do it. Wow, and um, you know, in my own life, until I had my big topple, um, I had mini topplings. <laughs> you know, um, but I haven't toppled since then. I've had lots of near misses, and certainly during the pandemic, it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> right, let's put these supports in place. What else do I need? What else do I need? Mm. What else? Mm. Mm. You know, but you know, we need to also look at what's happening in the world and you know like you said you you know your your children are growing up into this world my daughter's growing up into this world some may say unprecedented times you know wasn't like when we were growing up and then there's a part of me that wonders whether how much of that is true whether the world is always has always been a volatile place yeah you know I, I when I was growing up in Guyana for seven years we went to school with in an armored vehicle we had guards at our house with guns. We had five dogs to to guard the compound, you know. I mean, this, there was different stuff. There were different stresses, you know, yeah. and certainly in my parents' time and their parents' time. But what we do have now in today's world is a huge, uh, obsessive uh, over-communication. Is it over-communication? 
huge amounts of communication, constant yeah. communication. Yeah, I mean, just... Everything is being communicated to the nth degree. I think I read somewhere something like people consume, uh, I'm not going to get the data right, but it was like, you know, you might, uh, 50 years ago, you might read one newspaper a week. Mm. And now in a day we consume like, I don't know, let's say, let's say somewhere in the order of a hundred newspapers worth of information and email and phone and news feeds. And, yeah. you know, so that, that is a distinct, a distinct hallmark of our era. I, I love your insight that it's about like, yes, we can find mm. at any vantage point in human history, we can find parts of our, our civilization that were deeply traumatic and stressful for mm. at least some of the people who lived in that time, if not most of the people. And we have all of that with this added layer of this kind of um, information sphere. And in addition to the atmosphere and the ecosphere, there's this like information sphere that just is like fire hosing us constantly. Constantly. And, you know, I'm asking people to try and discern what is your urgency and what is the collective urgency? Mm. Mm. Because they can get really entangled and enmeshed yeah. so that you know even if i'm sitting there in the morning at 6 a.m i have this sense of urgency in my nervous system that says i've got to do this i must do this i should do this you should be doing this you should be, you need to write this you need to do this blog you need to do that thing you and i have to sit with that and go okay let me just notice it let me observe it from behind it not from in it and all it takes is the breath, breath, feet on the ground, breath, hand on belly. Those three points, three anchor points, feet on ground, hand on belly, breath. Okay, I'm in my body now. Right, where am I? Am I in it or am I observing? I'm observing it. I'm behind it, looking at a sense of urgency, a wave of urgency that's caught up in a collective wave of urgency. Right, can I pull myself? Can I pull my urgency? Can I unpick it? from that collective urgency and I can mm. Mm. and when I ask people to discern actually you'd be surprised that, you know people come to me with the complexity of their lives I'm working with a single mother who's two teenage boys one who's doing drugs the other one's been diagnosed autistic she's trying to run a business she's trying to pay the mortgage I've said to her and she's going through this phase of life where hormonally in the menopause years that because of the impact on the nervous system, everything feels urgent. Everything feels more urgent than it is because of the physiology of what's going on. So I've asked her, just discern. Just discern what's your urgency and what's the collective urgency. She's come back three days later, almost a different person. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So she's been returned to a natural state of intelligent balance. And energy. And I love this about my work because sometimes I just offer people the simplest things and then they come back again and there's just this wisdom and intelligence coursing through them. And, you know, I just gave them a little peanut. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I keep looking over here because I'm in a space I'm not usually in and, and so I have this big picture window and I can see the trees outside in the wind and, and, uh, and so I'm just finding that really grounding as we as we explore. Mm. Mm. 
And we maybe only have time for for one more question. So I want to just sit and see what what I'm really curious about here. You know, there's uh, there's this vision you have, and we spent a lot of the time exploring the part of the vision that says, uh, you know, that's about helping people find their natural balance of energy. But then there was the next part of the vision that was about uh, the so that, like, well, what's important about that so that they can be more joyful? Mm. What were the other other sort of joyful, loving, fulfilled lives? Yeah, joyful, loving, and fulfilled. And you know, there's a part of me that's like, hell yes, yes. And then there's another part of me that's like, like, can we? Can we like actually do that? Because it feels. Mm. Mm. It feels like it feel and here this is interesting. I notice some urgency in me. There's a part of me that feels like we're we're racing against a clock, mm. and we can objectively, you know, we could sort of try and zoom out to different layers of understanding about kind of how climate change is unfolding and how our society is unfolding and how history has unfolded and and. You know, everyone. There are lots of different perspectives on on the, the the shared urgency of this moment in our society, and a lot of it is pretty dire. Yeah. Um. So so like I'm like I'm like fuck yes like I want more joy and I want uh, more fulfillment because if if my belief is that we have, if we have more people living from that place, then maybe we will be embodying a slower way of being that might help us slow down enough to meet these urgent times. Because it seems to me like the paradox is that the the more we rush to keep up, the more we're producing the very rush that's going to, that's, that's yeah. our undoing. And so I just wonder how you hold that. Like we've been sort of primarily working at the level of the self and ancestry, but like if we zoom out to the level of the planet or of our species, and all of the urgency that's there that's coming in how do you how do you anchor yourself or what's your relationship to that as your vision of joy and and fulfillment comes into play Mm. (laughs) we end on an easy question then yeah i always do (laughs) that's my thing we're gonna close out on a light note here kiddos look it for me it always comes back to the self and being the change and what can each of us as individuals do within our sphere of influence, within our sphere of responsibility. And, you know, one of the things that really drew me to your podcast was these two words, fierce hope, Mm. you know, by many people's standards, I've had quite a messy life, you know, growing up was messy. You know, many people have, it just wasn't easy, but I think, in my innate personality is to be fiercely hopeful, hmm. right? So that's maybe one of my gifts, you know, one of my siddhis, you know, they call it in Hinduism. One of my siddhis is, is fierce, fierce hope. And uh, a submodality of that is joy, you know. So I fiercely believe that it is our responsibility to, to, to do what we can do to embody safety so that we can experience joy, mm. so that we can be more loving human beings, mm. Mm. so that we can live more fulfilling lives. And in so doing, we, we, we gift our children hope because 
many of the young generation at the moment are feeling hopeless. You know, you only have to look at the mental health statistics, but many of them are feeling hopeless. And so, you know, I, I make a point of having conversations with my daughter about where my joy came from today, where my joy came from, you know, and they could be, there'll be tiny moments. It could be on the dog walk. It could be a nice text message. It could be a, a perfect, I walked through a grove this morning through in the forest and it, I got the smell of tea. I, it's not a tea plantation. I just stop it. That smells like Darjeeling tea. I love tea. I love Darjeeling tea. Don't drink a lot of tea because of the caffeine, but I love my one cup a day. That just gave me a moment of such pleasure. And uh, I just stood there and soaked in it. And, you know, the neurophysiologist, uh, Dr. Rick Hansen says that, you know, the human brain is like, um, it's like Teflon when it comes to positive experience, but Velcro when it comes to negative experience. Velcro meaning it's just sticks, negative experiences stick. Um, positive experiences just slide off, slide off the Teflon, you know. So our brains don't hold positive experiences very easily, but neurologically, you know, physiologically, we're wired for survival. And maybe, just maybe, we're at that stage in our evolution where we're allowed to soak in positive experiences so we can go to the next level and we can impart a sense of safety to the next generation. Mm. You know, maybe mm. while all of this chaos is going on, while all of this horrible, tough stuff, scary stuff is going on in our own individual ways, while we wake up every morning and we deal with our grief and our heartbreak, we can reach for those small moments of joy, those small moments, and savor them and soak in them because you have to soak in them. I think it takes something like 30 to 40 seconds to embed a positive experience in a way that's going to impact your nervous system, parasympathetic, yeah. you know, whereas it takes a few seconds to register that bad, what's happened with the news, you know, the climate change report, the political parties and the, the, the fights that are going on in the UK and everywhere at the moment, uh, whatever, you know. So my belief is that when we return to our natural state of balance, we have an innate desire for joy, for pleasure, for happiness, mm. Mm. for love. Mm. You know, it takes work then. And that is courage, courageous work because as the, Gibran, the poet, says, you know, your joy is your sadness. Your, what, behind your sadness is your joy. Something mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. So to get to the joy, we've got to go through the, we've got to work through the tough stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's no disentangling the two. They are intimately bound together. They are intimately yeah. bound, you know, and uh, there's no short circuit, you know. There's no short circuit to it. Mm. That that's going to last sustainably, mm. other than something you might take pharmacologically. But that's a whole other subject. <laughs> <laughs> and there's That'll a program be... on Netflix about that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. you a great book. Yeah, but, you know. Mm. Mm. But even that, we don't have much time to dissect. But even that is, there's no panacea. There's, there is the, there is, there is the. Uh, whatever it is that you take or, or receive or touch or listen to, or 
breathe with or walk with. And then there's what you do with it. There's how you integrate that. That's how you, how you bring it into your, your being or into your identity or into your sort of offering, you know, into your everyday lived experience so that you, I almost see this as starting a a positive, a different type of contagion. Mm, mm, Because mm. when we do the work on ourselves and then we wake up and we get up and we get out and we go out on that dog walk, and we breathe in the pleasure or something that smells like a tea that you love, that's reminiscent of the Darjeeling tea estate that you visited in 2002. And then you come back and you sit on a, podca- on a podcast and you talk to Andy and someone might listen and then they might recommend it to someone else and then they recommend it to someone else. And then, you know, there's a tipping point. It might have an exponential effect, but, you know, could I have brought this energy to this session if I hadn't stopped and savored that smell of tea? you know, for that moment and took the time to do that. And so we sometimes we can go into this feeling of hopelessness, like we can't possibly change what's happening because it's so huge and so big. But actually, that is not my belief. And I am fiercely hopeful that each of us as individuals can make a difference. A freaking men. Thank you, Narina. Thank you, Andy. Mm, This has been a real gift. I'm realizing as you share your perspective on this, that in a way, this podcast is my pers- it is my personal effort to create a space where I can, in a deep, sustained way, be in the presence of those things that will reach, reach my parasympathetic nervous system, that will reach me deeply in a positive and meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So, so this space is... is is one of my practices, and uh, you exude that. Actually, this has been the most uh, one, the most profound podcast I've ever uh, had the privilege to be involved in. Really, oh, seriously, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm really touched by that. Yeah, well, I, I was nervous. I was unusually nervous. Normally, I'm not. I was like, oh my god, caliber of his guests. Yeah. So, okay. I just show up and I'll do what I do. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you did, and I'm so glad you had the time with the the, the Darjeeling fragrance and the and the memory that evoked and the energy that evoked. I really um, I trust that whoever finds their way to this, and I hope many people do, because it feels mm-hmm. like a really important conversation. I trust that simply by taking the time to really listen and be with us, that they will feel in their bodies what it is you're talking about, and I hope that that feeling helps them see how, how ex- paradoxically, how quickly we can access yeah. these things that also take work and time and, and persistence, but also like it's right here if we find the right space. It is. I'm, I'm really excited to hear the podcast, the final, and to get it out there, you know, because um, this is where I want to be going with my, walk, with my work, more conversations like this. I'm saying more no's to stuff and more, I want to start saying yes to more, conversations like this you mm. know mm. Need them. and you know i think i'm in this kind of legacy phase of my life now mm. um so less flatteringly called the age of the crone can you believe that <laughs> oh my god i mean that's just horrific <laughs> that sounds like a name that some some dude some old dude would come up with to describe the <laughs> to describe the archetype <laughs> But you know what, like one of the most, one of the things I most appreciate is when I meet people who, who take something like that and reclaim it and give it a life and a vibrancy that, that, 
it wasn't it wasn't necessarily attributed to it by the person who first came up with it. So yeah, absolutely. It's a legacy That's time. Why. It's a time of it's a time of like send if this your life is a tree. It's a time of like sending out like the little seeds and the little possibilities to to others to receive, and also f- for shade for people to just come sit in the shade of that tree and. Yeah. You know, it's that's so so I honor that. I honor the time that you're in. Call it what we will. Thank you. And I'll keep jumping out of those trees for as long as I can. I hope so. Carefully, please be careful. I don't want you carefully. We want you around as much as you can, but also like heck yeah, I hope I hope when I'm in my uh legacy time, which is not so far away that I am also still climbing and jumping or doing whatever my body allows for. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. It's been it's been a gift. It's Thank been wonderful. You. Let's stay in touch. I want to hear about your uh, birth experience. Oh, that's a story. Yeah, we'll have to. I think I've shared a version of, uh, of it on one of my conversations yet to be released, which was why part of me hesitated to share it again because um, I wanted to stay with, with your journey. But yeah, I'd love to have that conversation uh, at some yeah. point and, and hear your insights about what that, about like how that connects to, yeah. to yeah. How, how I am in the world. So thanks for that. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thank yeah. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.